Section 16 of Birds and Nature, Volume 9, Number 3, March 1901. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Tavarish. Snails of Pond, River, and Brook Many of my readers have doubtless kept an aquarium at some time in their life and have stocked it with several goldfish, a small turtle, and some freshwater snails. They have also, without doubt, stood in front of the aquarium and watched the strange antics of each of the three kinds of animals and have wondered at the swiftness with which the little snails progressed about the glass sides of the artificial pond. It is of these molluscan denizens of fresh water that I shall write in this article. In the freshwater species the shell is not often rounded like that of the land snails, but is more frequently long and pointed, the spire resembling a church steeple. The animal, too, differs very greatly, the tentacles being either flat and triangular, or long and very tapering. The eyes are not placed at the end of the eye peduncles, as in the land shells, but are generally situated on little swellings at the base of the tentacles. They may be found in almost any body of water, adhering to stones, sticks, and other submerged objects, or crawling over the sandy or muddy bottom. Our freshwater snails may be divided into two classes. First, those which breathe by means of a lung, and which must come to the surface at regular intervals to take in a supply of air, and, second, those which breathe by means of plume-like gills, which take the oxygen directly from the water. One of the most common and best known of the first class is the Limnaidae, comprising the pond snails. These animals have generally a long, graceful shell, horn-colored for the most part, but sometimes greenish without and reddish within the aperture. The animal has a broad, flat foot, an auriculate or eared head, and flat, triangular tentacles. The habits of these animals are very interesting. They will wander about the sides of an aquarium, eating the growths of green scum which have collected. At this time the mouth may be seen to open, exposing the radula, and the operation of eating is not unlike the motions of a cat lapping milk. They are such voracious eaters that the dirtiest aquarium will be cleansed by them in a very short time. It is interesting to note that the young animals breathe air through the water for a long time and finally acquire the normal characteristic of the family of breathing the air directly. While submerged, the mantle chamber containing the lung is tightly closed so that no water can possibly get in. It is thought by some that the species of Limnaea, living at great depths, retain the early habit of allowing the water to fill the mantle cavity and so breathe oxygen through the water and are not therefore compelled to come to the surface for air. 
Limnea lives under many varying conditions, being found in the Arctic regions of Greenland and Iceland, as well as in the tropics, in thermal springs and those containing mineral water, as sulfur, as well as in brackish and fresh water. They have been found at a height of over 14,000 feet in Tibet, and at a depth of 800 feet in Lake Geneva, Switzerland. During times of drought, when the streams are dried up and the surface of the mud is sun-cracked, the species of this family bury themselves deeply in the mud and cover the aperture with an epiphragm, in much the same manner as the land shells. This fact accounts for the apparent disappearance of all life from a pond when it dries up, and its sudden and seemingly unaccountable reappearance when the pond is again filled with water. A genus of pond snails closely allied to Limnea, but having discoidal or spiral shells, is Planorbis, the flat orb shells. Instead of dragging their shells after them, as in the last genus, they carry them perfectly perpendicular, or perhaps tilted a little to one side. The animals are very rapid in movement, more so than Limnea, which are rather sluggish. They delight in gliding rapidly about their long, filiform tentacles, waving about like a whip in the hands of an impatient driver. The Limneas of which we have been speaking, have mostly dextral or right-handed shells, that is, have the aperture on the right side when you hold the shell in the position pictured on our plate. In the family Physidae, the shell is left-hand or sinistral. The members of this family have shining, horn-colored shells, more or less fusiform. The tentacles are long and filiform and are constantly moving about as in the allied genus Planorbis. The animal is very active and moves about with a steady gliding motion. It is very interesting to watch a number of physae in an aquarium. As they are crawling along the bottom, one will be seen to rise suddenly to the top of the water and move along with the foot applied to the surface, the shell hanging down. Again, they may be seen descending, suspended by a thin thread of mucus. When the animal rises suddenly, the branchial cavity which contains the lung is heard to open with a faint clicking sound which is probably due to the pressure of air in the lung being suddenly liberated several of the species of physa inhabit water as cold as the freezing point and they may be frequently seen in winter gliding over the bottom of a stream or pond when the surface is frozen the little glary, transparent masses of jelly-like matter, which are seen attached to stones and the underside of sticks, are the eggs of Physa or Limnea. Not all of the freshwater pulmonates have spiral shells. A whole family, the Ancilidae, 
have a conical shell formed like a rounded shell and resembling the limpets, hence called the river limpets. They are generally quite small and live attached to the interior of dead river shells and to submerged plants and to rocks. They are very interesting but hard to find on account of their small size and inconspicuous habitat. The second class of mollusks, or those that breathe air through the water, have a respiratory cavity instead of a lung, in which is placed a series of leaflets, arranged like the teeth of a comb in two series of lines forming the so-called gills. The mouth also is placed at the end of a long rostrum, or proboscis, and not in the lower plane of the head as in the first class. Among the most common of this class are the river snails known as strepomatids. There are about 300 species in this family, and with two or three exceptions, they are confined entirely to the United States in geographical distribution. The shells are more or less graceful, having long turreted spires and small apertures. The color of the shells is generally a uniform greenish or yellowish, although some species have color bands, and the aperture is frequently tinged with purple or reddish. The animal is very interesting in captivity. It is not very bold and will lie on the bottom of an aquarium with its head and foot half protruding from its shell and its rostrum and tentacle slowly moving about. Frequently it may be seen moving along with its head and rostrum bent down and moving about like a hound on the scent. A family closely allied to the last is the Melaniidae, the animals of which inhabit the entire world except North America. They may be distinguished from the last family by the presence of little finger-like digitations on the edge of the mantle. The shells are generally larger and more highly colored than those of the last family, many of them being of a dark chocolate color and some are of a beautiful glossy black. Some shells are smooth, while others are ornamented by knobs and spines. The genus Melania, a species of which is illustrated on the plate accompanying this article, is the most characteristic form. The largest and handsomest of the freshwater snails belong to the two families Viviparidae and Ampulariidae, the shells of the latter family frequently attaining a length of three inches. The animals of the first family prefer a sandy beach in a large lake or river, while those of the second generally live in more or less muddy rivers, ponds, and creeks. A single genus of Viviparidae, Campelona, is confined solely to the United States east of the Rocky Mountains. Their shells are generally of a rich grass green, and in certain localities they may be collected by the thousands. Unlike many of the snails of which we have been writing, this family is viviparous, that is, brings forth its young alive, instead of laying eggs, as in the family Limneidae. 
this character has given the family its name which is certainly well chosen when born the shell is about one sixteenth of an inch in length and is perfectly transparent the animal is very active and eats voraciously of any vegetation within reach another handsome shell belonging to this group is the vivipara contectoides which is about an inch in length and is encircled by several color bands it is a common shell in many of our ponds somewhat larger and handsomer than the viviparas are the ampularias or apple shells also called idle shells and pond snails these animals live mostly in tropical and subtropical regions and are noted for the tenacity with which they retain their hold on life so tenacious of life are they that instances are known of their living for several years away from the water in this respect resembling some of the land snails it is also recorded that hollow pieces of logwood from honduras have frequently contained specimens of this family alive after a journey of thousands of miles they may be said to be truly amphibious the writer has collected in florida the large ampularia depressa in considerable numbers it was noted particularly that this species furnished the principal food of the everglade kite a bird inhabiting the southern part of florida large quantities of these shells were found about the nesting places of these birds from which the animal had been neatly extracted without damaging the shell in the least the bird is curiously enough provided with a curved bill which easily fits into the aperture of the mollusk and extracts the animal with little difficulty and the feet and claws are so constructed that the shell may be firmly held during the operation this shell is figured on the plate in central africa there is a lake tanganyika having a length of four hundred miles and a width of from ten to fifty miles and at an elevation of twenty seven hundred feet above sea level which has one of the most interesting and peculiar freshwater molluscan faunas known it is thought that at some remote period in geological history this lake formed a part of the ocean and that in the course of time it was cut off from the sea gradually became fresh and was finally raised to its present elevation the reason for such a theory is the presence in the lake of certain molluscan organisms whose shells closely resemble those of the salt-water family Litorinidae, periwinkles. The fact that certain species of the family inhabit brackish water and are even subject to the influence of fresh water adds additional weight to this theory. The shell of this species, Limnotrochus tomasi, also resembles certain of the top shells trochus which are marine in habitat most of the other species inhabiting this lake are like the freshwater viviparas in form 
The animal of Ampularia depressa is very curious and interesting when studied alive. The foot is very wide, almost square in some positions. The head is narrow, separated from the body by a neck, and the region of the mouth is produced into two long cylindrical tapering tentacular processes, which are probably tactile organs like the elongated lips of glandina, described in the last article. On the top of the head are placed the two whip-like tentacles, which are longer than the length of the whole animal and are always waving about when the animal is in motion. Just back of the tentacles the eyes are placed at the end of two short rounded prominences or peduncles. From the left edge of the aperture extends the long hollow cylindrical siphon formed by two extensions of the mantle. On the upper side of the posterior end of the foot is placed the horny concentric operculum or door. When the animal withdraws into its shell, the head first disappears with its appendages and the siphon, and the foot is doubled up in the middle, the operculum shutting in last and closing the interior against all enemies. All of the different groups of the mollusca have their giants and their pygmies, and the freshwater mollusks are no exception to the rule. We have thus far studied the animals of normal size and the giants. Let us now turn our attention to some of the pygmies among the freshwater snails. One of the commonest of these small mollusks is the Bitinia tentaculata, the shell of which does not exceed half an inch in length and is formed in a graceful tapering turret. This species, like many other European animals, has been introduced into this country and bids fair to eclipse many of the native species in the number of individuals. It probably first came over with some merchandise which was shipped west by the way of the Erie Canal. The snail, once established in the canal, has had every opportunity to spread over the entire United States. The canal is emptied every year and cleaned, and the water, with its organisms, is allowed to flow into the little streams and the larger rivers, and thence into Lake Ontario. From this lake, this species has spread so that it is also found in Lakes Erie and Michigan, and will eventually spread over the entire northern portion of the United States. This is but one of the many examples of different species being carried by human agencies from one part of the world to another. But there are many species of these smaller freshwater snails that are pygmies indeed, whose tiny shells do not exceed an eighth of an inch in length, and which require the aid of a microscope to adequately study their delicate organisms. These minute animals live on water plants and on any submerged object. They vary from long, pointed, steeple-like shells to those which are perfectly rounded like a miniature apple. 
in our own country these little creatures may be found in any of our ponds or streams and the lively little animals are well worth a closer acquaintance they are known scientifically under the difficult names of paludinella amnicola somatogyrus fluminicola with many others and do not bear any specific english titles much more might be written concerning the habits and variations of the freshwater snails. The best way to become acquainted with these interesting animals is to collect them alive and study their various modes of life in an aquarium. This receptacle need not be an elaborate or expensive affair. A fish globe, six or eight inches in diameter, makes an admirable aquarium and even a quart mason fruit jar has been successfully used by the writer. The bottom should be covered to a depth of an inch or more with clean, fine sand, and several stones should be introduced for the snails to roost upon. If the aquarium is large enough, a few water plants, like watercress, might be introduced to assist in purifying the water. The best mollusks for this purpose are the limnea, the planorbis, the physa, the vivipara, and some of the pygmies just mentioned. Much can be learned concerning the habits of our common snails if a record is kept of everything the animal does, such as its mode of eating, what it will eat, and the increase in size from day to day of the little snails after they are hatched from the egg. If these creatures could be considered by the majority of people as living, breathing animals, performing many of the functions carried out by our own bodies, they would be regarded with more favor, and hence aquaria would become more numerous, and they would also be studied more intelligently. The writer has been frequently amused, and sometimes pained, by the careless questions of some otherwise intelligent person, when he has been exhibiting the shell of some interesting mollusk. Well, really now, was that thing ever alive? It is to be earnestly hoped that this series of articles will reach many of this class of people and lead them to a better understanding of these lowly creatures. Frank Collins Baker End of section 16